Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 70 of Dead Man's Chest. Did that sound a little monotone? Me? No, me. Because it kind of sounded a little monotone to me. Oh, actually, I have a filter on that basically just removes your entire voice from my headphones. Well, that's a little rude. Oh, I take it you're done talking. I could see your lips moving. But like I said, I couldn't hear anything. I mean, this week has really been turning out to be one hell of a busy week, and it's not because of all the stuff you throw at me, but it's like interfering with the show. That's what's going yeah. on. It's like, we're supposed to be chatting about pirates, giving the crook eye to Captain Jack Sparrow, but no, I'm like running all over at work. Real real life is getting in the way of pirate you bet life. your ass. And I don't like it. Real life is not as fun as a fake pirate life. Exactly. Which is a good thing in a way for work, though, I guess. It's good to be busy at work. But it's semi-related to Jack Sparrow. For those who don't know, in addition to like conservation work I do with Burrowing Owls and Urban Bird Foundation, I do conserve ocean life like sharks, whales, and the biggest part of the job, sea turtles. Who doesn't like sea turtles? <laughs> Sparrow likes to integrate them into his stories and escape plans, you know, riding around That's on sea true. turtles. Which kind is of completely illegal. Yeah, I don't endorse it. And not that I want to make this like work talk, but I'm involved in like this really cool project to protect 240,000 square kilometers of open ocean. It's like this migratory route for sharks, whales, and sea turtles between the Galapagos and Cocos Island. It's like a Ecuador, Coco, Coco, Costa Rica thing going on there. A Coco Rico. Coco Rico? But yeah, saving sea turtles, saving sharks. Not bad. Not bad. Maybe that's a good reason to have a delay for getting the show out, but... I don't know. I mean, it's still... The show has to go on. There's a reason that's saying that. Because otherwise, how would Jack escape if we don't protect critically endangered sea turtles? (laughs) Very true. It's the only reason I... When I tell people, like, hey, we need your help. We need your donations. And I say, do it for Jack. Just do it for Jack Sparrow. (laughs) He could get stuck on an island somewhere. You know, Rum Runner's Isle. He's stranded there. Can't get off. He's got to use sea turtles and his uh, back hair. But with that said, in the previous minute, Jack looks down. Eyeballs his compass and tells it, I know what I want. Hey, just another day in every man's life in any town USA. Gibbs the soup Nazi tells a crippled man, it's the crow's nest for you. Next! And we simply skip the Irishman. Well, it's not St. Patrick's Day. That makes it okay. (laughs) No. To get to the main attraction, the former Commodore Norrington doing his best to impersonate the rum-loving Joshimi Gibbs. Looking just as dapper as ever for any given castaway floating the seas. (laughs) For a year or two. Minute 70 begins with Captain Jack Sparrow concealing his identity with a plant, while Norrington continues his conversation with Gibbs. I would have, 
if not for the hurricane. You know, I so wanted to say it if it wasn't for those meddling kids. <laughs> but they didn't. I withheld my Scooby-Doo-ness. Congratulations. Gibbs fires back. Lord, you didn't try to sail through it. The minute ends with the Tortuga Pirate Band playing two hornpipes as the bar-wide brawl continues while Jack tries to sneak past the commotion. Now, don't say I don't admit when I'm wrong. <laughs> or maybe wrong. Well, I don't think I said you were wrong, but I just wasn't sure enough myself to come down on, like, a particular side on this issue. The very important Norrington wig issue. You know that thing. Uh-huh. The thing on everybody's mind out there. Because I'm ready to make a final determination now that we're in this next minute. I really took a good look at it. It's about time you took a good look at something. Yeah, you were in uh, deed correct. That is his wig. Yeah, so that for He's one thing, still wearing that freaking wig. It's got to be stinky, right? Stinky has got to be an understatement. And it's all frizzy and yeah, he's yeah. got issues. It's a disheveled wig that is seen like way better days. <laughs> Gives him that frosted look though. He wears uh. that frizz well. He's like that frizz away <laughs> stuff. Good for you, Norrington I though. I think it helps with his crazy look. It does help with his crazy look. Yeah. Things can only go up from here, buddy. He's got that, He's got like crazy eyes and crazy hair. He's got like a Doc Brown back to the future thing going on. Doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. He needs that poster with that kitten like hanging from a ledge. Hang in there. Hang in there, buddy. <laughs> I feel like I need to get that and send it to him. Or for the, maybe the latest century, you know, as people get updated and don't really have those inspirational posters anymore. It's like the modern day equivalent of a... What, well, a sad emoji and like a, maybe a smiling one together? Actually, you see them all over that type of thing. You always see on Facebook or Pinterest That's true. or right. even Instagram. It's a social media thing. Exactly. So instead of posters, it's turned into yeah, we social can just, media. We could tweet him or Facebook him. Yes. I don't need to actually go out and buy it. That is so... Right. Passe. Yeah. 18th century. <laughs> Did you happen to notice the role reversal happening in this minute? Possibly the last minute maybe it started. Between Norrington and yeah, and uh, Gibbs here? Yeah. Gibbs is now, yeah. like any of the crew, he's enthralled with the story Norrington is telling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as if he was listening to one of his own stories. <laughs> he was worried about that hurricane, though. I know, but he was really involved with yeah. it. Yeah. And I think it works well. We well, called out the fact that this entire recruit montage was just a setup for Norrington to tell his story. You know, he kind of became that exposition Gibbs character. Yeah. But it pays off here. Well, are Gibbs like elbows on the table and almost like his hands are under his chin and he's yeah. totally like enthralled in he what, is. what Norrington's saying. Norrington drops a hurricane ball and he's just like, what in the hell? <laughs> That's like Will get, hearing him drop the sea turtle tail. Yeah. Although I don't think Will really bought it, but that it, it's really like know. the same thing. Will was naive in the... That's true, but I don't know if he was that naive. Back hair that long. Get out of here. He's not a... Jack isn't Sasquatch-like. <laughs> but I think Jack Davenport does a really good job with the scene. He's like delivering his lines like really with full of gusto. He's like selling it to the audience. It's just good to see Gibbs on the other side of this storytelling as well. Yeah. If you were to rank our storytellers thus far, you know, like from both movies, how would you rank them? Because I see the storytellers maybe like, well, maybe they're on different levels. But nonetheless, it's like Gibbs, Norrington, Jack Sparrow, Barbosa, and Tia Dalma. Those are probably the storytellers. Right. Or would you include Barbosa in that? Maybe. I mean, he really has that great yeah. scene with Elizabeth about the Aztec curse. Yeah. Kind of makes sense. Yep. Does Jack, is Jack a storyteller? Do uh, 
He is a storyteller, but do we actually hear him telling stories? Because he tells other people's stories, like Murtaugh and Mulroy. Yeah, but we kind of come in hear, at the last yeah. part. Or he's like an instigator for stories to yeah. be told. It's like he, he just, sparks something and then others tell stories. Yeah, he doesn't really go into them. Other people do. Are Murtaugh and Mulroy storytellers? I don't know if they... No, maybe one, not. One? No. No, I don't no, think. No, okay. no. Okay, so then we'll kind of include Jack there then. Kind of. Because he does tell Elizabeth a story, right? No, not really even. I don't know if he is a storyteller. Kind of? Maybe in some deleted scenes he, we are, we covered in the last movie. The last season. I wouldn't, I wouldn't include okay, him. Okay, let's not include him then. So what is your thing then without Jack? Gibbs. Tia Dalma. She did a really good job. And then Norrington. And then Barbosa. Yeah. See, I'm almost there with you. I'm Gibbs, Tia Dalma, Barbosa, and Norrington. Mm. It's because Barbosa, well, I just yeah. really liked that Aztec cursing. He was just like really selling it right That's there. That's true. But Norrington's pretty close. Yeah. But I still think it's like Gibbs, Tia Dalma, and Barbosa, and then Norrington. If I had yeah, to Yeah, them. you're right. You're right. I was trying to remember back, you know, in my uh, in my haze of the Curse of the Black Pearl. Your drunken I haze? I trying to remember. Because of all the wine? <laughs> the grog? The, grog. <laughs> the, the rum? The straight up bourbon? <laughs> I, had to, I have a bit to talk about Norrington. Because we see him here in all his glory. His disheveled glory. <laughs> I don't know if it's really glory. <laughs> glory is Curse of the Black Pearl, where he's all like decked out, <laughs> dressed to the nines. He's got a clean wig. Now so witch so this like. isn't really glory? No. Oh, is it more of uh Yeah, you can't even think of a word. Just tell yeah, me what's I don't going know. on here. Anyway, so actually have I have a bit about both Jack Davenport and Norrington. And like how Jack thinks about Norrington. Oh, okay. So actually Davenport has always been interested in the role, the Norrington role. Yeah. He says the character is a leader of men in a very public role. And at the end of the first movie, Norrington is in a situation in a very public arena. He had to deal with incredible private things. That's what always interested him about Norrington. That he had to deal with private things out in the open? Yeah. I guess he does because he gets kind of the... He gets dumped, basically. Bitch slapped by Elizabeth. Yeah. Kind of the bitch slap heard around the world. Right. In front of everybody. Right. Yeah. In front of everybody. I guess so. Okay. Yeah. And Davenport wasn't actually expecting to have Norrington reprised in the second and third films. Oh, really? Yeah. Because he figured the story, Norrington's story was done in the first film. You know, you didn't need to bring, done. yeah, you didn't need to bring him into the two other two films. You know, you could have just dropped Norrington yeah, there. Yeah, I agree. And that would have been done. You know, explanation, he's gone. I mean, I like Norrington, and I guess we can get into that more when we actually find out more about what he's doing here. But you're right. His character moment played out. Yeah. It had that beginning and that end. Yeah. And actually, that ending. Even though he was humiliated from his point of view, he was actually a stand-up guy by the end. Yeah. So he went from this person who was really like, by the book, I'm going to hunt and kill every pirate in the Caribbean, and that's done. Yeah. Then it was, and by the way, I'm going to try and rise to power. I'm going to grab the the beautiful governor's daughter and you know make my life here. But it doesn't go to his plan, but he still ends the day... 
being able to hold his head up high because he's respectable. He may not have got what he wanted, but he realized Elizabeth is going to be happier. And that ends up kind of that personal growth that's beyond what he just wanted now. It's actually like, oh, this really was real love. Yeah. I'm glad that she's found that, even though I'm still hurting a bit. What's kind of interesting is he believes that he was the second bad guy in the film. Of Curse of the Black Pearl? Yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah, that's what I his thoughts he are. He was the second bad guy. Because he was the one who was also pursuing Jack. It's like a sub-villain almost. Because Jack has to make the deal with the devil to beat like the real devil. Yeah. Which is Barbosa and the crew. Right. And he kind of does that. And then, like I said, at the end, Norrington kind of holds his head up high and even lets Jack go after everything. Because that's that whole moment. We don't have to go back and talk about season one. But that's that whole moment of kind of letting go what he loves. And he kind of throws her a bone by letting Jack go. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's interesting. He had a great character arc there. Yeah. So he felt it would be feasible to leave him behind because, you know, his role was done. But he said, thankfully, they didn't. And so now he's back sweating like a pig in Dominica. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure with a fat paycheck, so it helps out. But (laughs) it'll be interesting to see where his character goes. Because in a way, it's almost... And we talked about how this character kind of had this 180 in this movie. But in a way, it's not that he had that. Maybe by appearance, but maybe by like emotional kind of turmoil he's starting where he left off in curse of the black pearl because he lost all that other stuff right away and so he is starting from that rock bottom so we see him like on the high horse yeah kind of then ratchets down even though he can hold his head up high but emotionally and internally he's still hurting this is almost like a who the hell is that painting oh dorian gray oh yeah it's it's like this is finally we're seeing the true portrait of Dorian Gray here before he just looked all like nice and proper but when we get a look at the actual portrait Norrington now is the portrait of what he feels inside after losing Elizabeth and losing Jack and the Motley crew and all that stuff yeah so it's kind of interesting yeah portrait of Dorian Gray thing going on here (laughs) Bruckheimer actually said that he wanted Davenport back in the movie and with the party of the movie he actually said Oh, I'm sure it's a party. Yeah. <laughs> From what I've seen. I'm sure there's yeah. work days, but they have fun. He says, well, he says he's fun to work with and he's created a memorial character. And he really embellishes the movie. Yeah, I think so. I, I, It'll wait to be seen what happens with Norrington here. But I think he's already left kind of a sizable mark. I mean, yeah. I was excited to see him. Yeah. And it's almost like I forgot when he comes back, even though I just seen it because I get wrapped up in the minute by minute yeah. thing. But it was like, oh, yeah, this is where Norrington makes a reappearance. Yeah. So it's good. He also said that he became an even more major player in both Dead Man's Chest and At World's End. I think, yeah, I think there's some good it stuff will, for him. Well, this is yet yeah, to come. Yeah, because we're going to end up yeah. spoiling some stuff if yeah. we get into it now. But there is... His character could have ended like we were just saying, but I think they do a good job of bringing him back and creating this kind of love triangle, confusion with Jack and the compass, what he really wants, that kind of stuff. And I think that helps with this. Right. Yeah. I'll just leave it there. And Karen Knightley had some thoughts on on Davenport. 
And so she was glad he was back also. She says, if you think of the movie set as a playground, Davenport is the one who can actually transcend the different cliques and make everybody laugh. Hmm. You know? Um, It's almost like, is she like insinuating that the people or the extras and the actors that are pirates like hang out on one side and then you got the British soldiers (laughs) on the other I can't, what is this? Like West Side Story? Well, They're all snapping their fingers as they come together <laughs> to grab their bag lunches? Well, you can imagine. I'm sure there's different cliques. You have the high paying oh, actors. Oh, I'm sure that. You know, and she's, you got to figure true. her age. She's pretty young, especially in the first movie. That's true. He probably was able to float around from the upper echelon, the major actors, the A listers, down and mingling with the plebes. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And she says he's the one of the funniest people she's ever met. Well, obviously she hasn't met me. (laughs) He he always brings a smile to everybody's face no matter what's going on. And she says he's a fantastic actor and a joy to be around. So Almost like her publicist wrote that. Hmm. (laughs) Do you think she's actually saying all this because she dumped him in the first movie? Well, Elizabeth isn't saying that. (laughs) I think she's... I think that they're... uh... They probably just become friends because they work so closely yeah. together. Yeah. I think that's probably something. And then we talked about how this was, you know, kind of a big breakthrough for her. So she probably has really special memories about that first film. Yeah. And doing that because this is really like a, you know, jumping point for her career. Right. Probably remembers that, you know, fairly well in those relationships. So I'm getting all this information on from... Michael Singer's book, The Making of Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm. Okay. And he actually says Davenport's vetty British humor, drier than gin and tonic in a West End pub, was an unending source of amusement for all his colleagues. Hmm. I just thought his, his phrase as drier than gin and a tonic yeah, in a West actually, End yeah. pub, it was very descriptive. Yeah, <laughs> it really is a good description of somebody. You're going to do that. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Do like a... Good gin and tonic. <laughs> Hendrix. I like Hendrix gin. Yeah. A little tonic. Put a cucumber on there. Kind of tasty. Okay. I wish I had one right now. Dang it. Man. Yeah, exactly. What the heck? I need some Hendrix. <laughs> the episode brought to you by Hendrix gin. <laughs> I was taking a look at the plant that Jack's playing with. Yeah, that. Okay, this gets back to my potted plant hypothesis in the last episode. I tried to let it go. I did. I even looked at it because I thought... Is it really a potted plant? Because I thought, well, maybe they're kind of in an outside place. But no, they're inside. Right. And you see, I mean, there's there's quite a bit in the room. There is. As you're going around the room, they're like in every corner. What kind of horticultural dude is running this establishment? Well, I was kind of taking the a The 12 Daggers <laughs> Tavern and plants. He wants to make it look beautiful. Get out of here. So I was kind of taking a look at these plants and I'm going, they're really pretty. <laughs> But this is a very dimly lit room. It's never yeah. they're not they're not opening windows to shine this place up. So these plants look way too healthy to be real. Yeah. What kind of that's a good point. This is a candle lit establishment. Right. And it's always candle lit. There's no lights. The windows aren't opening. Could you imagine if you even opened a window, all, all the dust be- that would fly off? <laughs> so the plants are too healthy looking. To be real. Yeah. So then it got me thinking, well, how long have artificial plants been around? It's a normal reaction from any <laughs> any person, any normal person. I mean, really? 
Have I'm they curious. been around this long? I have or no have idea. They... I think you're going to astonish me. I'm waiting to be astonished. History of artificial plants. Wait, are you trying to steal my history bits? <laughs> no, How just a little you? tiny bit today. <laughs> artificial plants have actually been around since ancient Egyptian times. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. Bull. Yeah. They were making... No way. Swear to God. They were making floral wreaths that were formed of thin plates of horn stained in different colors. Really? Yep. They that were, is incredible. Yeah. Sometimes they also consisted of leaves of copper, gilt, or were silvered over. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, right? Yeah. Found that quite interesting. That's incredible. So are these artificial plants? This is like a next stage. Yeah. Or though it's possible, and here's the possibility that we overlooked, that it really wasn't a potted plant. Based on what Jack grabs, it looks like it's just a cut off frond. Is somebody going out to the jungle here, cutting off some branches and cutting off some of the big tropical leaves, bringing them in for some ambiance. They just kind of hang out in some water until they wilt. And that's it? Maybe, but that's that possible. seems more difficult. Why? Than having artificial. Yeah, but these guys, it's like, hey, do you happen to have any uh, stock of artificial plants on that vessel of yours? It just doesn't seem like a big trading item. It's like, I, yeah. man, I brought over thousands of artificial plants and they're just sitting in my store. Nobody's buying them. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. Maybe they're just cutting it. But anyways, that's crazy, though. Yeah. If they're artificial plants and that they've been around since that long. Yeah. I would have never guessed that. Romans use gold and silver. Chinese use rice paper. Japanese plith of bamboo. And Italians dyed coconuts of the... That's yeah. weird. <laughs> Sorry. Italians collecting coconuts <laughs> from their hometown. Their, their homeland. The the beauty and the taste of the Italian coconut is unparalleled. Are you done? I'm done now. Italians dyed cocoons of silkworm. <laughs> cocoons? So you're telling me coconuts came from cocoons? No. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And made that them is into ridiculous, flowers. Madam. Huh? I wasn't listening. What? I know. They dyed cocoons of silkworms and made them into flowers. Gotcha. I was really more enthralled with the Italian coconuts. South American Indians utilize feathers for their purpose, while North American Indians cut flowers of buckskin, decorated them with colorful beads and quill work, and attached them to their wearing apparel. Hmm. Natives of the South Seas have made sprays of flowers with dainty shells. Nothing wrong with dainty shells. And that's the history of artificial plants. Yeah. And this is probably a podcast first. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> the history of artificial plants. Oh, I, I should have said it like this. Yeah. It would have been more it would have been more Hey. You don't have the acting chops That's that true. I do. That's it's very like true. uh it's like uh I don't even know what it is now because I'm just trying to come up with something I couldn't and I was trying to be nice about it. And I don't even know how to transition from artificial plants. I mean, it is Jack is walking around the bar with plants, cuttings, artificial, whatever. But we can't forget like the obvious bar fight trope here that's going on. It's definitely like the classic fight that starts from a customer thinking another customer spilled his drink or broke his bottle. You know, you've seen it a thousand times. A lot of movies. Yes. Table gets uh, dumped over on somebody. Seen a dead man's chest. Exactly. Because I do like this trope. It doesn't get old for me. At least if it's not like 
seeing it in movies kind of thing. What I don't want is like the fight to continue on for too long before we start to like pan to other action and focus on our main characters or something. Yeah. Which we kind of do in this minute. So there, there's kind of a semi-climax with Jack and Norrington at one point. Like a, a mini-climax as we lead to the bigger one. But the missed shot, you know, he almost tries to shoot him. And that's thanks yeah. to the new recruits, actually. Because it's good sign when your newbies step up to give you a helping <laughs> hand and save your life. Or maybe not. I don't know. Do you think Norrington was really going to shoot Jack? Or was this just like an artifact of the guys trying to wrestle the flintlock from him? Oh, that's a good question. Because he does say old habits die hard of basically the idea of pointing the gun yeah. at him and trying to subdue him, kill him, whatever. But would he So I, it almost I looks I like know. he really wasn't going to do it. It's yeah. like old habits die hard. He's still holding the flintlock on him. Yeah. Then the other guys, the newbies, the recruits jump in and then start to wrestle it. And then it automatically yeah. or accidentally, I should say. I would say, say it goes that way. It goes off. Yeah. That's kind of how I'm thinking of it. Yeah. I just can't see Norrington just all of a sudden shooting Jack and killing no, him here. No, I think it was, that's why he prefaced it with old habits die yeah. hard kind of thing. Yeah. Because if he didn't say that, we would be left wondering, was he really going to shoot him? But I think that's the clue that he really wasn't going to do that. According to TVTropes.com, the classic elements of a bar brawl trope are... Ready for this list? Yes. It's a list. The emphasis is less on fighting skill and more on destruction of furniture. Mm, I say always. We got, say we got to check on that. Yeah. That one appears. That's when you take a chair and break it over somebody's head. What the hell are you doing to my list? Arr! Glass will be broken, ordinary bottles turned into weapons, teeth are flying, possibly. So I think, check, we got broken bottles, that's how the fight starts. Uh Then we got other bottles being smashed. Well, it actually starts with the dumping of the table, but yeah. Uh, No, it doesn't actually. Oh. That does not start it, so how dare you try to... The broken bottle started it? Yes, because Norrington flips the table, everybody's kind of watching, they wrestle for the gun, it shoots and ricochets off the chandelier... Hits that guy's bottle. He turns and looks to the guy standing next to him thinking he broke his bottle. The classic. Then he, which happens to be right next on our list, throws a surprise haymaker punch to the unsuspecting patron. Hmm. That's a check off that list as well. Then, of course, a chair will be smashed across somebody else's back, which I don't really see happen here. I didn't give that a check. I don't think that happens. Which is weird because that's like the epitome of them. Oh, yeah. Someone will probably swing from a chandelier, even if there weren't any chandeliers to start with. And this is a half check in this minute, because we get like a, it's not like swinging, but we do get the chandelier gunshot. But spoilers, there is a check for this in the next minute. Hmm. The flipping of the table, you already mentioned that, check. Making a battering ram out of another improvised weapon. It's not unheard of, according to their list, they say. (laughs) That's a nope, though. Hmm. I was excited because I thought they were going to. At one point, they're, spoiler, holding a guy. Looks like they're going to batter ram him, but he doesn't turn out to be that way. Next one on the list. At some point, the fighting will become widespread among the patrons who are involved in the instigating of the argument. And that's a check. Mm-hmm. Does become widespread. A good clue that this fight is about to happen is when the piano player secures the piano and leaves. <laughs> Usually happens. But no, no check here. The band actually continues playing yeah. on. Play right like through the fight. Like nothing's going on. Yeah, which is a close second, I think, on the list. There's the piano guy closes up shop and leaves. Or you have the band just playing on. It's almost yeah. like a Titanic band thing, too. If the ship oh, is yeah. They're just playing through they it. They just played all, The yeah. beat gets faster. You're it's right. like they're everybody's kind of maybe fighting slow, and they just start whittling down <laughs> on the fiddle. And everybody starts to get real hyped up. Reminds me of like an old Three Stooges episode <laughs> with uh, Curly. Whenever he would hear like the violin, 
he'd get all uh, uppity. Hmm. Fighter at that point. I think it was a boxing one. Ah, 1930s comedies. <laughs> and then on their list, bonus points if someone gets thrown out of a window or slides across the counter. But no, we, uh, not officially, but we won't bring this up again. So I'm going to just say someone is thrown out. So maybe it's a check. Mm, we'll take it. And the guy who starts the fight was actually there to try to prevent violence from occurring in the first place. That's a nope on this one. But 7 out of 11 isn't bad. And I think that'll oh, it's work. it's really good. Yeah. There's also the bonus that there will, you know, like be somebody sneaking a drink or drinking amongst all the chaos in the bar. Is which, it Jack? That is definitely a check. <laughs> no, Norrington. Oh. He's the one leaning up against that post, that supporting beam mm. and drinking away. So, yeah. Seven of eleven uh, bar trope check marks. So that's what I got. Okay. You got anything else? That's it for me. So we're gonna leave on bar trope action, but I have a feeling I as I use my oracle bones in here to determine like what is my catchphrase for this episode? Artificial plants? No, Italian coconuts. <laughs> the most famous coconuts <laughs> of all. When people no. go, I want coconuts, they go to Italy. That's where they get them. Excuse me. Those famous tropical Italian coconuts. That's going to be deleted out. No, it won't. We'll be back on Friday with minute 71 of Dead Man's Chest. Until then, scallywags, let's keep the horns swoggling to a minimum. I was going to come up with some. I was going to come up with something rude about Italian coconuts, but I thought I would just leave it there. (laughs) We would end the show on a positive note. Yeah. Wish I had a coconut song, though, to end on. But I can't think of one offhand. Oh. Uh, the only one that's coming to mind is Mango Tree. But uh, Oh, yeah. That was just in my head. I was all, oh. but, uh, We've no, used coconuts. Mango Tree before. Uh, are there, isn't there like a lovely, lovely bunch of coconuts song or something like that? <laughs> I think there is. <laughs> what kind of song is that, Scott? Yeah, and where that did you hear that song? Uh, I think I was looking at Estrella. <laughs> You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and Season 2 is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, SoundCloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, that's for best of clips, and by all means give us a plug and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, mateys. Oh, and let's not forget the Facebook Cursed Crew listeners group for post-episode discussions. That's actually a lot to remember, especially if you're in a foggy haze like Heather. Just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button. Perhaps I should have just said that from the beginning. This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bilge rats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. 
but I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music, that's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout-out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather. <laughs>